This episode of Let's Think On It comes from an excerpt from O Brother Radio with Will Lockamy, Reed Lockamy, and Dr. Mark Westfall. Um, all right, so we always talk about something that is informative and important, and we're going to continue that tonight. So we'll be talking about autism, correct? We are going to be talking about autism. Yeah, it's a topic we hadn't covered. Yeah. And um, um, I'm going to learn a little bit, too, tonight. We've got a, a uh, expert coming to talk to us about it. So um, We always I've, count on I've, you to be the expert. Well, yeah. I mean, I've, I've uh, certainly trained in child psychiatry. I, I know what autism is, but I don't do that as a specialty. And like anything... The more you do something, the more you know. And so, you know, there are specialists. I mean, I would be considered an expert in autism, but she's an expert of yeah. experts. That makes sense. Well, so. and you need one, too, because it's almost like with, you know, Alzheimer's, they say every time you think that you've got that figured out and cured, you learn that, no, we don't. And with autism, it seems like there's you can't get to the end of understanding what's going on there. That's right. That's right. And actually, that's kind of where I want to start off is, is like, and I want Anna to chime in. Oh, yeah. Um, just I wonder what the average listener uh, thinks of when they hear the word autism. And I know, you know, uh, there's probably a lot of different answers to that, but I wanted to hear you, y'all's response to that before we brought the expert in is when you hear someone say, we're going to talk about autism, what crosses your mind? What is that? Yeah. Anna, you go first on this. How about you go first? Well, here's the thing, <laughs> just cause I have experience working with autistic children and working with an autistic foundation. So I think, I feel so like you've my- kind of got some, you, 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 yeah, my answer may be a, a little, little cheat bit. cheat. Yeah, yeah. A little yeah. Bit. So I want to hear your answer first. I really want to know what. Do you know much There's about not a autism? wrong answer, by the way? Obviously. Um, so I guess just um, someone a little mentally challenged. Okay. Is that is that? That's a, that's a, that's. A I thought. think that's probably a very common thought that people and that's might what have. I'm looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So mentally challenged in what way? Because mentation does our, our brain does a lot of things, right? So. Do you have any other thoughts on how, what behaviors or what parts of the brain that they're challenged with? Um, doesn't it, it differs, right? It does differ. Mm-hmm. Do you have any uh, random thoughts? And if you don't, that's okay. I know I'm putting I, you on the I spot. Generally tend this to is think. exactly what I wanted to hear <laughs> because I want to make sure the listeners are learning something and I'm hearing that they're going to be learning something today because <laughs> at the end of this hour, you're going to be able to rattle off a lot about what is autism? Yeah, this is a super complicated thing. And Very I, complicated. I think uh, what my answer to that would be is I usually think of it as the social part of the brain is, the, is affected. And then even some of the uh, logistical parts of the brain can be enhanced in, in some of the kids that I've worked with. I mean, obviously, like savants, you, know, you think of yep. that, that yep. word and, you know, well, I can tell <laughs> stories. There's no question well, the, about their names. Course, I can tell stories about like yeah. just yeah. wild things that some of these kids can do, and the way they interpret things, and and the memorization and math skills and puzzle skills. It's wild, but then they can't speak a sentence. Right. That's a that's that's a great description. It one of the criteria is it, it is it affects the social communication and act, interaction domain of the brain. Okay. So we all are. Um, our, one of the things our brain does is it interprets our surroundings and it looks at someone and tries to understand what is going on with that entity over there, whether it's a tree or a person or a car or whatever, we look at it and, and we make an evaluation of what it is. And oftentimes we communicate without using our, our words. 
and oftentimes we kind of read what someone what's going on with someone without even speaking. Autism affects all of that type of of brain function, and so they often do not understand nonverbal cues. Um, they often do not even look at a person. Uh, they might sometimes a person is just an object and is, doesn't really represent what it might represent when your brain sees a person. So there's a lot of different variations, but that's kind of an example of, a, to a severe degree, what autism can do to the social aspect of our brain. I I wish there was some way that we could earn a dime every time I said to you, have you heard this episode of Invisibilia that I'm about to mention? <laughs> but there is an episode of Invisibilia uh, with a, a person, a doctor, um, who has autism, and about the way uh, something, I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was that they did that kind of like, oh, just temporarily rewired and allowed her to kind of all of a sudden for a 30-minute window after this treatment. I think it was an electronic treatment of some sort, you know, magnetic sort of waves through the brain. But basically, all of a sudden, she was able to read facial expressions. And it is a fascinating thing to hear her talk about this glimpse of like, oh my gosh, there's this whole dialogue that goes on that I'm not aware of right. most of the time. And I can't read what people think when they are sarcastic, when they are angry, those kinds of things. Just I just can't tell that normally. Right, right. It's and just it, information that doesn't come into the system. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, you know, another thing, and of course, I've had some experience. I was telling Will earlier in high school, I had an opportunity, luckily, to work at the Allencott School. Um, And then, of course, teaching in the public school system now, I have students on a regular basis who are on the spectrum. Um, And so I get to see a wide range, you know, of of different uh, students presenting uh, somewhere along the spectrum. And so communication, very difficult. And and also this this way that uh, people who I've interacted with who are autistic, the way they tend to get fixated on certain things. And, you know, they'll have their thing that they yep. are, they want to talk about, and that's their thing, and, and so that's, super fixated. That's exactly right. And that's the yeah. second main criteria. The first criteria is the social things we talked about. And there's a lot of details we could get into we won't. The second main category are stereotyped interests yeah. or behaviors or speech. Um, and so that's what you're describing. And yeah. so those two things together are the minimum things that are required to diagnose someone with autism. Now, we can go in a lot more detail about you know how that has to show itself. But those are the main two categories of brain function. And the scale affected. The scale is just like That's as why it's far as I can reach my yes. arms. Mm-hmm. Yes. It from <clears throat> severely impaired with for, with having any communication to subtly impaired, high functioning and working and having a family. And these are the and this is you know, these are people I went to high school with twenty five years ago or whatever it was, where no one was thinking at that time, this person is on an autism spectrum. We just thought here is a person who seems unusual, or yes. we can't relate to this person. Yeah. And of course, nowadays, I can think right now of a kid I went to high school with. Nowadays, immediately people will realize, oh, he's autistic. Yeah, he's on the. Spectrum. But that was not the case yeah. twenty years ago. So, um, before we bring in our our uh, expert, what are some of the questions you might have as an average listener um, to want to learn tonight? Um, I guess how far the range goes. Great question. Um, and like, why is there such a like? They're, they're so high functioning, and then yeah, just the range, I guess. Yeah. Okay. And for me, like, I think the thing that 
I'm always confused about is the regression. Children that seem normal until a certain, certain age, age and then regress, mm-hmm. which I um, have a friend whose child did. Mm-hmm. And, and then also the progression as far as I was an aide for a young man who, uh, you know, had major troubles communicating. I mean, there's no way at that point in his life, it was not going to be possible for him to hold a, a normal job. And now as an adult, he has progressed to the point where mm-hmm. he has a functioning job and talks to people. And yeah. and also I have another friend who has a child who's autistic who did progress to a, a really phenomenal point. Yeah. Yeah. And how is that, like, how do you change that? Yeah, those are so, great questions. So, you know, what I'm hearing partly is treatment. Is there a treatment for this? What's the approach? Um, and... So, yeah, we got some and I, questions. And I think it also is something worth talking about in this uh, age of such misinformation yes, about what causes autism. Yeah. I think it'd be really interesting to talk about what are the valid and legitimate theories about why this happens to a person. Yeah. And right. you see the, yeah, I mean, yeah. we can get into that actual story of the guy that came up with the whole, you know, vaccination theory and sure. whatever. Yeah. 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 Mm. Okay. My blood boils. But did you see... This has moved so far that I think yesterday, maybe the day before, the Global Health Organization, I forget exactly what they're called, but who? they put out Global Health Organization. No, who? Huh? Is, it, is it the World Health Organization? <laughs> who? Is it? I don't maybe, know. That's what I meant. Was it who? Oh, I see. It might is, be. It, is that actually what it is? Yeah, the World Health, World Organization. Health Organization. Okay, yeah. Put out like the biggest dangers <laughs> no. to, uh, you know, health overall yeah. on the globe. The anti-vax people. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, anti-vaccination. It's not just here. It is yeah. around the globe yeah. at this point. It's a danger. Yeah. It is a scary thing. Yeah. It is. And boy, I did, uh, you know, when I had children, because that was still at the time when it was like, what? You, like, you hadn't found out that dude was a complete crook yet. And I mean, I went and talked to pedi- my pediatrician. And of course, she was somebody who will just lay it out on the line for you. And she yeah. sent me straight yeah. pretty quick. Yeah. I've always lived by the rule that whatever Jenny McCarthy says is probably true. <laughs> Turns out. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not. Um, we're hanging out with Dr. Mark Westfall. We're talking about autism tonight. This is going to be interesting. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will have some guests join us as well. We're hanging out with Dr. Mark Westfall. As we do once a month, glad to have you back after taking the month of December off. This is an interesting one tonight. There's I no agree. question. We're yeah. talking about autism, and we have lots of questions. We do, and we have an expert, Dr. Rebecca Dossett. On top of you. On top of yeah. whatever. <laughs> So, Dr. Dossett, thanks for joining us. Thank you, certainly. So, tell us a little bit about yourself. What What do you know about autism, and I, why? I know a lot about autism. I've been treating people with autism for decades, and of all ages and all levels of uh, functioning. And I really love my work and love people in the autism spectrum. So. That's not very specific, but... It is. That, mm. You're a psychologist in, in yes. private practice yes. in Birmingham? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And have been seeing people with autism for decades. So yes. you have a lot of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of psychologists who don't work with that clientele particularly. How did you start getting you know, specialized, if you will, into that area? Well, I got lucky. I was in my 20s, and I heard about a program at the University of North Carolina at the Psychiatry School of Medicine, who was starting a new program for autism. I was living in Asheville, North Carolina, and they were opening a clinic, and I interviewed and got hired, and that's how long I've been doing it. There you I go. Just, it was interesting to me, and um, it still is. We talked earlier about how 
the diagnoses and the spectrum is just always evolving and changing. I can only imagine since you started until now how much it has changed. It really has changed. We, at the time I started, we were thinking there were um, four in 10,000 is the um, incidence pre- prevalence, and now it's one in 64. Oh, that's yeah. a big difference. The, I have a, no. I have a T-shirt from – I do stuff with Culture City um, here in town, and I have a T-shirt that from two years ago maybe? Yeah, about two and a half years ago, and it was one in 88 and now it's jumped to already from then, yeah. from two years ago mm-hmm. to and, one. And, and you could, you know, there are different numbers, but that's the most global one. That no, that's the, the one C- I've heard recently, that, yeah. That the mm-hmm. CDC yeah. has yeah. reported most recently. But that that's just shows you how fast it's kind of moving in that, the diagnosis. Well, and so one of the questions um, that I had from maybe you guys, but not before, my wife was, and I were talking about it, was why has the number increased and has there been an actual increase or an increase in awareness i don't know if there's really been an increase we don't know that for sure but there's certainly been an increase in awareness and that would that would increase the number of people who get diagnosed um my theory if there really is an increase it would be because people when the spectrum have gotten better treatment in the last few years, I've gotten able to go to school and become functional and get married and have children and pass the gene on because mm-hmm. it's a very genetic, very 85 to 90% genetic condition. So if there is really an increase, that would be my theory about why. Yeah. Uh, but the other reason that there are more is because this, the spectrum has broadened. When I started, we really only knew about children, and nobody was seeing adults very much. But these children do not stay children very long. So, um, as the as we broadened um, from children to adults, and from lower functioning people who maybe don't talk, or to people who are very very smart but still have all the symptoms of the people in the spectrum so there, there are three or four reasons why it's broadened yeah. but we don't really know for sure if the increase uh if there really is an increase and the genetic part um you said it's 80 to 90 percent genetic um do they have an understanding of what's going on genetically or just that it's so common in in um uh, identical twins and that's kind of how we know it's genetic yeah it's not a, it's not an anomaly it's not uh i mean i it can be. That's the, probably the 10% that we don't know about. But it's just in the genes, like you get your hair color and your skin color and your height. And, uh, it, um, and it's on, you know, like 100 different genes have already been identified, and I'm sure there'll be a lot more. Right. But it's not it's not a damaged chromosome. Yeah, um, it's not any one genetic no, problem. That's, no, that no. was my understanding, is mm-hmm. it's, there are a lot of different genetic problems, which makes... To my understanding and my perception of it is that it's probably multiple problems that have a similar combination of symptoms. Um, and it's not just one disorder because it's so broad and so varied. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. But but in order to meet diagnostic criteria, you do have to have a certain number of those core um, characteristics. But they do manifest very widely in age groups, and, I mean, in, across the lifespan and across developmental levels. Yeah. Does that have to do with the, how you said one in 40, you said, but that number 
varies? Um, well, it's based on this, the CDC studies are based on eight different states, and so different states would have different numbers. For example, it, it's a lot lower than that in Alabama because we don't track it very well. Um, but in other states where, where it tracks very well, it could be higher. So that's kind of the average composite number across those eight states where the CDC is doing that study. And okay. when we talk about terminology, of course, we use the word autism. Of course, nowadays you hear a lot of people talk about the spectrum, and then there's Asperger's, of course. Have, help us understand, sort of, is Asperger's a type of autism? Are there other specific types of autism? Well, uh, Asperger's was always under the autism spectrum. Yeah. It, it was in the in the came, it was in the DSM three, I think, and then it was Asperger's was in the DSM four. It's not in the DSM five. In the DSM four, it was it was under the autism uh, spectrum, and it was defined as people who don't have intellectual deficits and had did not have speech delays before age three gotcha but had all the other characteristics i mean met diagnostic criteria on all the other and these might be people that you know decades ago would have just been perhaps thought to be a little bit unusual Mm -hmm. yeah quirky and right mm -hmm. no i'd like to ask about regression um a friend whose child was seemingly normal until about the age of three and was completely verbal and then regressed to being nonverbal. Um, is that normal? Is that how it That's not normal. That's a very small subset of the group. Um, and I don't know the statistics on that. That's a special, I mean, that's, um, that's not that's normal not common. at all. Not, not at all. Hmm. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I was curious about that. If you think about the development of the brain, and we've talked about this many times. I mean, from the the um, the egg and the sperm coming together, and the genetic makeup that's made start the brain developing right then. The neural tube develops, and you got from that point until they're twenty five, and all of that whole span, you get brain development. And so, um, as Dr. Dossett said, m- most of autism is felt to be due to a genetic problem. So something in the genetic code is going wrong with the development of a certain part of the brain what has to do with social interactions and repetitive behaviors. Um, but there's that, you know, 10% or so that isn't genetic, so there's something else going on. There's, um, uh, there are medications that the brain can be exposed to in the womb. Um, Depakote, for example, uh, has an increased risk of neural tube defects and also autism if taken during pregnancy, and that's a seizure, anti-seizure medicine. So there is an incidence where it may not have been genetic, but the medication may have changed something along the pathway that those genes were coding for. And then there's, uh, once the child's born, there's more development going on, a lot of brain growth. And so something in the environment may happen or something in the neurological genetic development may only show itself then. So we have something, for example, like schizophrenia that we feel is genetic. It doesn't really show itself until the end stages of, m- of brain development in the late teens and early 20s. So Anywhere during that neurodevelopmental process, you can have symptoms that begin to show themselves, and something in that developmental process can go awry, and we just don't quite know what it is. And as Dr. Dossett said, there's hundreds of genes that are implicated, so it's not one problem. It's many different problems in the genetic code, maybe one for this person, maybe a different one for this person, but they may code for the same pathway. 
uh, that creates the brain to function the way it does. Does that make sense? It, can you, sort of. Can, can I lost you. You said some words. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to, yeah. Um, my brain also doesn't work that well, Dr. Dossett. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, right. more with Dr. Mark Westfall and Dr. Dossett as well. We're talking about autism tonight. We'll have more guests to join us before the end of the show. Uh, Dr. Westfall, I'll turn it back over to you. We're here with um, Dr. Dossett as well, and we have other guests that are joining us. I'll let you explain. So cool. So, um, yeah, I think we're all learning a lot about autism tonight. And so we've got uh, Dr. Dossett still with us, and we've got two more guests from a venue called Studio by the Tracks. We have uh, Suzanne Boozer, and we have Catherine Boyd. And so I'm going to let them kind of tell us what they do over there. I uh, am familiar with them because of a music event we used to have over there with small stages. I won't go into that. But uh, they're great folks, and um, we're going to let them let them tell us what they do a little bit. Um, hey, I'm Suzanne Boozer. I'm the executive director of Studio by the Tracks. Um, I've been there for 12 years. It's an absolutely wonderful, wonderful place to be. And um, looking forward to telling you all more about autism and how it affects our students. Hey, I'm Catherine Boyd. I'm the director. And Studio by the Tracks is a nonprofit art studio, functioning professional art studio. Um, we provide free art classes for adults with autism spectrum disorders. We have um, a building in Irondale, the old part of Irondale, right by the railroad tracks. Right by the tracks. It is and, a really cool setting, guys. It's it, a great setting. We're in an old pure oil station. We have a photo of our building from the 40s, you know, an old black and white photo and flooded with light and just real homey, cozy, creative space. It's really an awesome space. And I would like to just say right now, as soon as this radio program is over, people should go to the Studio by the Tracks website, scroll down, and look for the Vimeo. Uh, there's a documentary called Do You Like Peacocks? That's right. And people should just go watch it Absolutely. several times. That'll give you a really good idea of what we do on a daily basis. And, it's um, fantastic. It's really fun work. What and you do it, is fantastic. It's really unique. I mean, one of the things about the work that we do is that there aren't many places like Studio by the Tracks in the country, definitely not in the southeast. Um, and a lot of people in Birmingham don't even know we're there. So it's kind of a little hidden gem. And the quality of the artwork that oh, comes man. out of that studio They've, is amazing. You've got like, y'all have an annual um, like auction? We have an annual benefit in every June called Art from the Heart. Um, and we auction off uh, artwork donated by community artists, big names, Birmingham, well-known artists in the Birmingham community. And we also sell art that our students have made. And um, that's equally as popular <laughs> and often sells for greater amounts of money. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, people, it's are, people are often surprised, and um, I understand why they would be, but uh, they shouldn't be. In the documentary, <laughs> you see where some of these pieces made by the students, you know, the autistic uh, students, you know, goes for hundreds of dollars. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, well, that's a very reasonable price for what you just purchased because it's phenomenal art. It really is. Yeah. It is phenomenal art. Yeah. I mean, it, it, we're a we're a functioning professional art studio. Yeah. Our artists artists have autism, but other than that, they're just an artists. Art studio. Absolutely. And I recently came across. I forgot where I came across this. It was like in one of the Homewood magazines or something. You guys now have a store, right? We do. We have a store in Homewood um, on B.M. Montgomery Street. 
Um, we're open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and um, we it's an awesome place for us to sh- be able to show our students art in another venue. Everything's available for, for sale there, and we keep it really well stocked. How long has Studio by the Tracks been going on? Studio by the Tracks is in its 30th year. Um, it's hard to believe that, but um, Studio was founded in 1989 by a woman named Isla Faye Miller, who is still our mentor and, you know, the, the guiding source behind Studio by the Tracks. Um, but um, that's, that's, that's awesome work over 30 oh, years. In the, this I, I wanted to add that the, um, the students who go, the people who go there and do art get Sixty uh, percent of whatever their art sales right. are, and for many of them, that's the only first earned income they've ever gotten. I always like to remind people that first of all, it's free; no one pays anything to come, and they do receive sixty percent of their commissions. And um, there's something really neat about speaking to a parent whose child has just received their first paycheck. They may be in their twenties or thirties or older, and um, you know, there's something really validating about that. Um, just to be rewarded for your efforts financially is um, something that some of our artists never imagined possible. And it's not just financial validation or even the creative outlet, but um, part of what we provide is a community. We always say when you come to Studio by the Tracks, having autism is no deficiency. You have no deficit because everyone in that room is also you know, a person with autism. And so it's being in a space with like-minded individuals is comforting to people with autism. And um, so there's a community and also a sense of purpose and identity. There's a great um, story I like to tell. A, a mother recent, of one of our students recently told me that her, her daughter has begun to think of herself as an artist. And it's given her mm-hmm. real identity for the first time. This is a person who left high school because she was being bullied and just never had fit in and came to Studio by the Track. She's been there for years, and she really she fits in there. And um, so she now has an identity as an artist. She's getting involved in local theater tech. It's just opened up a door of possibilities for her. Dr. Dossett, I wanted to ask you, and this is a great segue into that, uh, what are treatments that you see working and helping people affected by autism you know, gain social skills back? Is it this type of thing? What do you see? Because it does happen. I've witnessed it personally, and we see it across the board. Well, one really good thing about Studio by the Tracks is that it's there, because for many adults with autism, there aren't many or any many resources once they leave school, um, depending on their level of impairment. I mean, some people can become employed, but some people can't. And so the Studio by the Track may be the only thing outside of their home that they do besides go to church or whatever their family's involved in so I really love that I've sent many many of the people that I see to to the studio but in terms of the treatment you know there are lots of different kinds of treatment Um, people in the spectrum have really uh, black and white and literal kind of thinking and their processing speed is slower relative to their cognitive abilities sometimes so that causes anxiety so they have high anxiety and one of the things that I think we really have to do is provide an environment that can have a reduced uh, stimulating environment Um, and you know an environment where people accept 
people with autism with their idiosyncratic behaviors. Uh, you know, I use they really need things written down and visual because their brains just process visual information much, much, much better than just auditory information. If you really want people to follow directions, you really need to write them down. And things need to be very structured and orderly. They need to know what's going to happen next and how long it's going to last and who's going to be there. And um, so that I think all of the different programs might have different names, but they would all have those components. You know, we talked for a bit earlier about the idea that some people might say, hey, what can we do to treat this and make this? What can we can we cure this person? Can we make them normal? But some people within the autistic community might kind of, you know, be taken aback by that kind of language a little bit. T- tell us a little bit about what you know about that. How do, how do people view that kind of conversation? Well, as these children have grown up and, um, and you know, the ones who are able to communicate, um, some many people in the spectrum have incredibly good verbal skills. And they articulate that they like the way they are. I had a, a person just today tell me, I like the way I am. <laughs> um, so many people really don't like the idea of um, of a cure. And that's not to say that they don't want all the help they can get to be able to function in the world as well as, right. as they can. But they don't always think of it as as a uh, an illness or a, a deficit. It's just a different way of being. I mean, that's kind of the way I think of it. it they have different brains. They Their neurology is different, and, and that doesn't mean it's wrong, but it's different. Different, and, and it sometimes, you know, has profound implications for fitting into the world, and sometimes only small ones. But that, that is something that the people with good cognitive ability are talking about these days is not liking the idea of looking for a cure and have, wanting people to accept them yeah. for how they are. Maybe what maybe part of the fix would be less about how can we fix you and more about how can we fix the way we interact with you and understand you and your way of being. Which, yeah, so I've been lucky to partner uh, as much as I can with Culture City here. They're based out of Birmingham, but of course uh, all over the place. And one thing they're doing is going into places like Birmingham Zoo and arenas all over the country and having these sensory inclusive areas and, you know, Concerts. Red Mountain Park has a, an area like that. Absolutely, right yeah. Now. Concerts, yeah. The Barons game. They the all Barons. have an autism-friendly Barons game. Absolutely. Yeah. St. Paul and the Broken Bones. Uh, we, we partner with them, and those guys are awesome about it. And headphone companies, so the kids were able to go. We took them to sound check, and then they can go to the concert if they want and still be there and experience it, but have the comfort of that sensory-inclusive area. So, Yeah, the other thing I wanted to add is that almost all people in the spectrum have high, high anxiety and and subsequently depression, and they really benefit from medication people like Dr. Westfall um, can prescribe. So we can't medicate autism, but we can't, you know, they can can treat anxiety and depression with wonderful medications. Makes sense. We're going to go to break really quick. I will say also uh, something that I learned from Culture City was the number 18, and they try to raise $18 for the life boxes that can help track and make sure people don't wander and you know, go to the pool and stuff like that. And it's because the number 18, most people, that's like, okay, here life begins. I'm done with school and whatever. Um, but for people suffering with autism, a lot of times that's when, wait a minute, now what? Because there's not that support system in school. So Exactly. Yep. Um, okay, we're hanging out with Dr. Mark Westfall. Also, uh, Dr. Dossett and our friends from Studio by the Tracks. Sorry, that's right. I'm having trouble reading through my microphone. It's tough. There you go. All right.
right. So I'm thinking back on the questions we had in the very first segment. One of the ones that uh, has come up, I'm curious to hear how your response to this will be, Dr. Dossett. Um, vaccines. Vaccines do not cause autism. That's Short, <laughs> brief, to the point. That's been researched for decades all around the world, not just in this country, and there's not a whit of scientific evidence that vaccines cause autism. Yeah, no. which uh, has been a very difficult thing to debunk. And there are still people who do that, and the doctor who made that popular is still around talking about it. He was in Birmingham not long ago. Now, I heard that the secondary theory is that if it's not vaccines that cause autism, it's President Obama causes autism. Is that right? I've heard that. No comment. <laughs> okay. All right. Hmm. So um, so back to Studio by the Tracks. Um, the new store that's open, and you're, you mentioned earlier that that people don't pay to come to Studio by the Tracks. It's an art studio that's open for free. So how do you do what you do? Where does the money come from? Um, well, a couple of different ways, actually. Um, we raise money through corporate donations. Um, we also raise money through foundations and grant opportunities. Um, we also have private donations from a lot of people around town that support our cause. Um, one of the main ways that we earn income is through our um, annual Art from the Heart benefit. And we earn on that one night, um, hopefully about 40% of our operating budget wow. for the year. So the auction we were talking about earlier? Yes, the so auction. 60% of it goes to And 60% of all the sales, and we keep And the 40%. rest of it's 40 and that is 40% of your annual budget? Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. Wow. Yeah. So when someone goes to the Studio by the Tracks website and they scroll down and they watch the documentary, Do You Like Peacocks, which they should do. Absolutely. And they think, I want to give my money to these people. The best way is to show up for the Art from the Heart uh, auction and buy a piece of artwork. Or yeah. now you can go to the store, right? Yes, or you can go no. to the store any weekend um, and shop there as well. No. My house and office are filled with art from Studio by the Tribe. I bet I they are. It. It's good yeah. stuff. It's good it's stuff. It's good stuff. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I was really moved by the documentary. I've watched it twice already. Um, and it's just such a great thing to support. I mean, everybody wins in that situation. Sure. So, yeah. This isn't related to the great studio <laughs> of the by the tracks, but um I was just I think the last time that we had you in, which was way too long ago, Dr. Westfall, um, we talked about um, how mental disorders, they will follow each other. Like um, one, if you have one, that means you probably have another, blah, 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 you know? Um, I'm just wondering if, if this, like if you have autism, do you have other? You know, that's interesting because we talked a few minutes ago about disorders? the way that autistic people would also experience anxiety we said and depression and things of that nature because of the difficulty they have relating to other people so it's a more complex thing than just you have a genetic thing that results in autism right there are these other there are things we can do to help yeah make, and, you know make lives people lives better yeah i think what anna is referring to is comorbid conditions and so when you have whatever symptoms you're experiencing sometimes other things come along with that and so with people on the on the autism spectrum, yeah. they often experience symptoms of conditions that anybody in the population can experience, like depression, like anxiety, 
um, but it probably is at a it may be at a higher rate than than some other people in the population. Yeah. I have to look at the specifics of that. Um, but yeah, most of the as from a treatment standpoint, from a psychiatrist, um, we typically are looking at treating symptoms. Right. And so if someone comes in and complaining of depression, whether they have autism or not, we're going to treat the depression. If they come in complaining of anxiety, we're going to treat the anxiety. If they come in complaining, the other thing is, is um, the, the ritualistic behaviors can sometimes look kind of like obsessive compulsive behaviors. Um, sometimes there's a response to that medication, sometimes not. And then the other thing is attention. Um, and so um, the, uh, the attentional symptoms sometimes need to be treated, just like anyone with attentional problems. <coughs> well, and so <laughs> right here. <laughs> um, and then the other is the only other one that is is I guess more in the younger um, uh, and more severe end of the spectrum is some of the um, self harm behaviors that can happen, and there's some medications that can, sometimes can help with that aspect of it too. Um, so if you can think about it, um, you know, children. And we talked about the whole development of the brain, and there's things that, in all of us, that's when, like for me, uh, I don't remember names. Something went awry in my name learning, and I don't remember names. Uh, so I move on with that, and that's just what I deal with. So anywhere in that spectrum, something in, in that development, something can happen. If you have a young child who's dealing with um, differences in understanding um, social cues, um, a two to four year old is frustrated anyway, just walking around. If you add that element of something that they don't pick up on, then it's going to affect their behavior. So you sometimes see a lot more behavior struggles in someone who is on the spectrum at a young age. And they often develop out of it once their brain moves on, just like any four year old brain moves on, and they have other ways to deal with this. Uh, difference in their brain, and so um, so for that reason, there's sometimes medications that can help. But like Dr. Uh, Dossett said, we don't look at curing quote unquote autism. We look at treating symptoms that may come along with it. So it's a great question now. Yeah, and of course, as awareness is you know rising within the uh, professional field when it comes to diagnosing. Uh, autism. There's also awareness in sort of the popular media field. There's a, a great book, Anything But Typical, that I used to have in my middle school classroom. Um, a fantastic book, uh, The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. Um, there's a, a great uh, television program called Atypical, um, and all of these, you know, different works and lots of other ones that are, are helping to showcase, you know, uh, characters with autism to help sort of. Um, you know, get people to feel more comfortable and understand, like, oh, well, these are these are just human beings. Maybe they're a little bit different, or maybe they're a little atypical. But these these are just human beings who have rich lives uh, who need to be recognized as as human beings. That is, you shouldn't have to say that sort of thing, but I guess sometimes that's kind of where Didn't we're hurt. coming from, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I just want to thank you guys for being here, Dr. Dossett, Suzanne, Catherine. Thank you for being here and sharing all your knowledge on this topic that I think has has been awesome tonight. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Studiobythetracks.org. Studiobythetracks.org. We also have an awesome Instagram page with our incredible art. Um, and we have a membership program for as little as a dollar a month. You can become a supporter. That's nothing. <laughs> a dollar a month. That is the nothing price at all. of a cup of coffee. This is, this is highly enjoyable. Yeah. And I think it was educational as well. We all learned stuff. And um, thanks, everybody, for being here. 
To listen to Dr. Mark Westfall live, check out O Brother Radio on Birmingham Mountain Radio, 107.3 FM in Birmingham, 97.5 in Tuscaloosa, at bhammountainradio.com, or on the free BMR app. Join in with your questions and comments on Twitter at Lockamy Brothers. <laughs>